0: Well, at the beginning of this year, twenty twenty, we started a new series called Discipleship Essentials. And we talk about what is disciples, discipleship and the church, discipleship and baptism. And then we went on to talk about a few marks of what a disciples look like. A discipleship the disciples into the word who loves, who bear fruits and all that. And I have one final sermon to this series that I titled, Discipleship is for Life. Uh, However, I didn't get a chance to preach that Sunday on our first live stream simply because I decided to uh, share a sermon on response to COVID-19. So today, I thought I would just use this opportunity to uh, finish off that series of sermons uh, with the final sermon uh, called, Discipleship is for Life. And the text that I want to uh, bring to you is uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, I'll read that a bit later, but I just want to uh, get you to refer to that at the back of your mind. Luke 22, uh, 54 to 62. Uh, there was a story in uh, about 19, in 1968, an Olympic runner from Tanzania uh, was running a marathon race in Mexico City in 1968, and while running, he, he fell. And uh, he injured himself, he broke some bones, and he was bloodied, but he continued the race. He kept running and kept running somewhat slowly, but he kept running. And until quite late at night when he entered the stadium, there were only about a few thousand people left in the stadium. And as he did his final lap and finished the marathon, the crowd gave him a standing ovation And later on, he was asked, why didn't you quit when you were hurt and bruised and bloodied and discouraged today? Why didn't you just give up? And his answer was very simple. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles around the world to start the race, but to finish it. But to finish it. And I think that can summarize... About our Christian journey, uh, we don't want just to start the race, but we want to finish the race. We want to finish the race well. We want to finish the race strong. And as a pastor and in ministry for the last 27 years, I have seen many, many uh, Christians come and gone. Many who started the race well—they were passionate for the Lord. They were involved in leadership. They were doing all kinds of youth activities or or as an elders, or even pastors themselves, uh, many have fallen by the wayside, very disillusioned uh, at the later stage of their Christian journey. And so I thought this, uh, today I want to use this time that I have to finish the sermon with this topic on discipleship, on life. And I, what I want to do is to use the figure of St. Peter. Uh, Peter, has the mo- as a disciple, he has the most materials for us to use in the Bible because he was the one that probably he asked the, more questions than any other of his followers or Jesus' followers. For example, he would say, To whom shall we go? Where are you going? Why can't I follow you? Shall I build a tent for you? Uh, not just my feet, Lord, when he was, but my hands and, and my head as well. So what I want to do is to use uh, Peter's life Because Peter was very passionate for the Lord, and then he, we all know, he fell. He denied Jesus three times. So how did someone from so fervent, so passionate, so gung-ho for the Lord, and then he fell, he denied Jesus three times. And how Jesus restored him again, and then he finished his race uh, very, very strong. He was even stronger than before he went through this period of uh, fell into sin and denied Jesus three times. And so I thought we'd just use this uh, person's life uh, to bring forth a couple of points for meditation today. So Luke chapter 22, is uh, verse 54, let me just read to you. Luke chapter 22, verse uh, 54 to 62. Then seizing him, which is Jesus, they seized Jesus, they led him away. And took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it, woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord has spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. How did uh, it happen? How did someone who followed the Lord spend three years with Jesus, saw all the miracles and raising Lazarus, multiply bread and fish, uh, he himself walk on the water, he saw all this thing, how did it happen that he fell? Uh, I want to give you five stages in Peter's fall. And then I want to uh, look into how Jesus restored him. And then there are a few applications, and then we'll finish it. Five stages in Peter's 4. As a disciple, we want to finish the race well, but we have to guard ourselves in anticipating some of this kind of thing. Because to finish the race is very difficult. There are many challenges, many distractions, many temptations along the way. Uh, And I dare even say that there are many hidden challenges, challenges that you cannot anticipate. You uh, didn't expect it to happen at all. Uh, Sometimes it comes along the way. Um, So let me just give you five stages in Peter's. 4. The first one is neglect of prayer. Neglect of prayer. Uh, This is in the, uh, the account in Matthew 26. Uh, Jesus led them, after last supper, upper room, uh, led them down to the Garden of Gethsemane where He went to pray. And then this is what He said to His disciple. He said, Could you men not keep watch with Me for one hour? He asked Peter, just one hour. And then He said, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. He said, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them there and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying, the same thing. Peter was charged by Jesus, said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Uh, And I think that the first step towards falling, straying away from the Lord is always begins with the neglect of prayer. The neglect of prayer to me is a grand hindrance to spiritual formation in our lives. No soul ever fell away from God without giving up prayer. Prayer is that which establishes contact with the divine power and opens the invisible resources of heaven. And so when we neglect prayer, we short-circuit the connection that we have with God. And when we have no connection with God, very soon power will begin to seep away from us. And so the first step downward in the average soul is the giving up of the practice of prayer, the breaking of the circuit with divinity and the proclamation of one's own sufficiency. And that is precisely what we don't want. Prayer is that whole concept of dependence on the Lord, and our entire Christian life is about depending on the Lord and not ourselves. And prayer is the way to help us to learn to depend on the Lord constantly. Carl Henry said, whoever only speaks of God, but never or seldom speaks to God, easily leases body and soul to idols. The Christian thus places his whole future in jeopardy by a stunted prayer life. So neglect of prayer is the starting point of someone turning from hot to cold. Corey Tenbun said, When a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. But when he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. Because he knows that prayer is the starting point of moving someone down a spiral out of control. And so, neglect of prayer will always be the starting point. Uh, two reasons why people no longer pray, I believe, is because self-sufficiency and selfishness. Uh, when you're self-sufficient, you don't pray. But we don't realize that in, our inner life can be so weak when we don't pray. And so the first step uh, that we learn from Peter's life is the neglect of prayer. And when we neglect prayer, it is always will lead to other things. Second point that, uh, from Peter's life that I want to give to you uh, is... Interestingly, substitution of action for prayer. Substitution of action for prayer. I mean, most of us will feel the necessity of doing something for God. And the church turned to the solace of activity. And instead of going from prayer to action, uh, they neglect the prayer and become busy about many things. It is so easy to think we are doing God's work when we are only in motion. And Peter is no exception. And because he didn't pray, in the turmoil of the arrest of Jesus, Peter drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ears. And of course, Jesus quickly restored the servant's ear by a miracle. And then what he said to Peter, in uh, Matthew twenty-six fifty-two, he said, "Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword." Jesus was asking Peter actually to pray, watch and pray. But Peter now, because he didn't pray, now he spurred into action, thinking that he could defend uh, God. But he forgot that uh, God had offered the Son the cup. Remember Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and God said, well, there's no plan B, you have to stick to plan A. And no one could hinder his drinking it. But Peter giving up the habit of prayer substituted violence towards others and all the tact was lost as devotion to a cause became zeal without knowledge. And so many of us can be like that. We sprung into action but our actions are in some sense quite empty and meaningless when it is not grounded in prayer because prayer is the one that keeps us focused. Prayer is the one that helps us to constantly ask ourselves why we are doing what we are doing. And if we neglect the prayer, your action will lead to some other things later on as well. So prayer, uh, of course, prayer is never a substitute for action, but the needed first step, to faithful and good action. Without prayer, our help ends up being misguided at best and harmful at worst. Prayer isn't an absence of action at all. That's not what I'm trying to say, that we should one or the other, either, or kind of approach. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just suggesting that action without prayer is very dangerous uh, because it will lead you to disillusionment as you go on down the pathway or discouragement. But prayer, prayer isn't an absence of action. I mean, prayer isn't an absence of action. Uh, there are whole lists of prayer in the Bible that uh, Jesus commanded us. Hannah's prayer for Samuel, uh, Moses' prayer for Israel, Elijah's prayer for on Mount Carmel, Jesus' prayed at the feeding of the 5,000, and in Gethsemane, and, and, and all, all prayers. So, so, so there are plenty, but the point remains, prayer isn't an absence of action but the necessary first step to true and helpful actions. So, neglect of prayer, and then when you neglect prayer, you start to want to do something as a substitute of that, and your action does not spring up from prayer, but your action it may be hollow. And the third step towards uh, Peter's downfall is not just neglect of prayer and substitution prayer from prayer, uh, Action and then now it becomes lukewarmness, lukewarmness. Experience soon proves that religious activity without prayer soon degenerates into indifference. In my pathway as a pastor, I mean not as in pathway church, uh, for many, many years as a pastor, I have seen many, many who are very involved in church, they fell away. Because their action, their activity, their doing, all is based on their self-effort and not depending on the Lord. And they become lukewarm as times go on, when they get discouraged, don't see it result, and all kinds of things will seep into their heart, uh, and soon it will degenerate into indifference. A few hours later, Jesus was led before His judges, as we uh, oh no, the story. And Peter followed Him from afar. And this is what in verse 57 uh, of Matthew 26 says, Those who had arrested Jesus took Him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed Him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered, he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. He had given up prayer and then action, and now he keeps his distance, and only his eyes remain on the Master. How quickly the insincerity of action without prayer proves itself. He who was brave enough to draw a sword a few hours before, now strays on behind Christ, who once was the dominating passion of our life now become incidental in religion. Of course, we still linger as from force of habit in the footsteps of Jesus, but out of the range of both His eyes and His voice. It is in such moment that most often we say, God has forgotten me, when the truth is that it is not God who leaves us, it is we who stray on behind. So we become lukewarm when, uh, when we neglect prayer we substitute it with just action, it will lead to lukewarmness when you just go through the motion of doing things, habitual things, but not really from the heart. And then it will slowly, slowly spiral out of control. Fourth point uh, from the lives of Peter that we can learn of his uh, downfall is that he became to satisfy material wants, feelings, And emotions. That is what happened to us. The satisfaction of material wants, feelings, and emotions. Once the divine fits in life, the material begins to exert itself. And the excessive dedication to luxury and refinement is always an indication of the inner poverty of the spirit. Peter, look at Luke chapter 22, verse 55. When they had kindled fire in the middle of the courtyard, Peter what? Sat down. Sat down with them. There is a process going on in Peter, isn't it? It is hardly a progress for it is a downward movement. He was walking and then he was standing and then now he was sitting. And that is exactly what Peter did. He was walking, he followed him from afar, he was standing, he went into the courtyard and he stood among the people and then he was sitting. He sat beside the fire to keep himself warm. Luxury had replaced fidelity. Never before was anyone so cold before a fire. And that is what uh Neglect of prayer will lead to substituting for action and you become lukewarm and then you start to find other form of uh, satisfaction by substituting it with some material things to satisfy you. When the treasure is within, uh, there is very little need of those outer treasures that rust consume, that moths eat, that thieves break through and steal. When the inner beauty is gone, somehow we need luxuries to clothe our nakedness. But you can see Peter became very warm sitting down with them and mingled with them. And then that led to my fifth point of uh, how Peter slipped away. That is human respect. Human respect. We long for that and peter too longed for that which is finer nail but when he was sitting there beside a the fire warming himself then he was confronted by three different people confronting him saying that he was one of them he was jesus disciples you were one of them and and peter of course at that point uh, denied it outright Deny it outright. I never knew this man. I don't know him. And that finished off his final downfall because he was after this human respect had gotten the better of people, about Peter. And therefore he said it out loud with strong words I do not know this man. Neglect of prayer, substituting. The prayer with your action, without grounded in prayer, it will lead to just going through action, become lukewarm, become indifference, going through motion, and then satisfying with other material things that distract us, and then the human respect nail it all towards the end of it. So those are the five points, five stages of uh, downfall that I've seen many uh, in my own journey as a pastor, as a Christian uh, who has left uh, ministry. Let me give you three steps back to his embrace. By looking at Peter, uh, he came back. and Because that's precisely why, why I want to study his life. Why, why I want to bring this character up before you because he returned back stronger. How did he return back uh, three points. The first one is through disillusionment. And the disillusionment came from the rooster's crows. The rooster's crows. That very moment when he denied Jesus three times, as per Jesus' prophecy over Peter, the rooster crows. And I read through the four accounts. I looked through Mark, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, and John, the four accounts in the gospel uh, responded differently of how Peter responded. Uh, um, Matthew twenty six verse thirty three, uh, before before um, before Jesus did, uh, before Peter denied Jesus, when uh, Jesus prophesied about what Peter would do. Later on, this was what Peter said. In Matthew 26, this was what Peter said. He said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Lord, I never will. Even everybody else fell away, I never will, in Matthew 26. And then in Mark's account, in chapter 14, same thing, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if all fall away, I will not. And in Luke... It was simply say, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He added in the word death. I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to die for you. And in John chapter 13, when uh, Peter asked Jesus this question, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Peter. He said, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So the gospel are unanimous on one point. The rooster crow at the exact moment of Peter's third denier. As the words flew out of his mouth, And at that very instant, from somewhere off in the distance, a rooster began to crow. And suddenly, at that moment, it all became clear. How rash he had been only a few hours earlier. How cocky he had been. How confident of his own strength. How sure of his own abilities. The sound of the rooster man, Peter, I want you. This will happen, this would happen, and you didn't believe me. So the first step to, uh, back towards Jesus is disillusionment. The rooster crows. Peter's self-confidence was completely, totally, absolutely trash. Completely because he was so confident he would die for Jesus. But Jesus said, no, I'll tell you what you want. And so the first step often to return to the Lord is acknowledgement of this, this complete helplessness within us to live our Christian life, to run this race, to complete this race. It's the first step. Just like the Beatitudes say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are inadequate, spiritually inadequate, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually zero. And when you come to that acknowledgement, Jesus say, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And so the first step, returning back to the Lord, is understanding this concept of disillusionment, completely shattered of your self-confidence to live your own Christian life, to even think of finishing the race on your own. The second thing, of returning to, to the Lord is response to grace. And that is the look of Jesus. Not just only the rooster crows, but the look of Jesus. Verse 61 said, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. You know how people can give you the kind of look? And you know, some people say, oh, you just need to look at the, your... Your mother's look or your father's look or your wife or your husband. The look is enough to kill you. Some people say that, you know. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That look, that piercing look into the heart of Peter. And since this was in the middle of the night, it must have been between uh, probably, uh, as I said before, on a Palm Sunday, that uh, Jesus went through a couple of trials. He went to uh, Annas and then to Caiaphas, and probably they say that it's between uh, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin council. It's in between that, that period where Jesus came out of the court and waiting to be escorted to Sanhedrin, uh, to be interviewed or trial by Sanhedrin. And during that time, that period of time, that the rooster crows, and uh, after Jesus denied after Peter denied Jesus three times the the cross, and at that moment, Jesus somehow was having an eye contact with him, turned and looked straight at Peter. I mean, it was a convicting look. There's no doubt when Peter looked at Jesus, it was a convicting look because he knew, he knew what he promised to Jesus and he knew now he, his confidence is completely shattered. Jesus is almost saying to him, you said you did not know me. Look at me, Peter. Look at me. Do you not know me? It was a convicting look. It is also a compassionate look in some sense. Uh, Peter, how weak you are. Now you know that without me, you can do nothing. Do you remember, Peter, just as we left the upper room, as we were walking to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, as we walked in John chapter 15, as we passed through these trees and all that, i gave give you some kind of visual example. I am the vine and you are the branches. Didn't I say that? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit without me or apart from me you can do nothing. Remember I told you that as we were walking through the Garden of Gethsemane? Now, I give you some visual example of that as well. So it was a compassionate look. Not just only a convicting look, but I think it is also a commissioning look. He said, wait Peter, wait. Wait. Remember this forever. And then you go, you go and strengthen your brothers. You go. It was almost like a a commissioning to him. You go through this, but you will come out stronger and you will do even greater things for me. And so here, uh, the way back to Jesus is, is response to his grace. The look of Jesus. And then, the third one is sorrow. The tears of Peter. The tears of Peter. Verse 62, after... He denied Jesus three times. After he saw Jesus, he had eye contact with Jesus and that piercing into his his heart that how arrogant and how self-confident he had been that he when really, really come to the real testing, he actually fell. He actually fell. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. His heart was broken into a thousand pieces and his eyes that look into the eyes of Christ now turned into fountains. Moses struck a rock and water came forth and Christ looked on the rock which is Peter's name and tears came forth. That look, that convicting look, that compassionate look, that commissioning look pierced into his heart that led him to his knee and he went out. He wept. The words used means that Peter wept bitterly. They are a sign of his deep repentance. He realized at last what he had done, how far he had fallen, how his deniers had hurt the Lord. Tears. Tears are good if they lead to a new devotion to Jesus Christ and a new determination to serve Him. We may weep and weep but if our hearts are not made tender and open before the Lord our tears do us no good. Many, many Christians only regret. Regret only touches your mind and some go to the next stage of remorse which touches their heart but Biblically, it is the next step, which is repent. Not just regret, not just remorse, but repent. Regret only touches your mind, remorse touches your heart, but repentance always touches the will. The will. And so here it is, the way to come back as Thomas Hardy says, if a way to be better there be, it lies in taking a full look at the worst. Sometimes we need to confront the worst first, and then the beauty will come out of it. And that is why Christianity is about exposing our real self. That's why I always say the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. When we, when we see our heart full view, uh, then we, the grace of God will become Very, very attractive. Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist say people will read the gospel again and again. And I myself will read it again and again. But they will read it with much more profit if they have some insight into their own psychics. Blind are the eyes of anyone who does not know his own heart. Blind are the eyes of anyone who does not know his own heart. So there you go. Peter fell. And then the, w- the way back to Jesus is through disillusionment. And that is when a rooster crows. Is through the look of Jesus. And that is responding to His grace. And finally, it is the tears of Peter through his sorrow, bitterly wept. And, 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 and coming to the point of a return back to the Lord. My friend, this is the pathway of descending and Upward. Let me, in closing, in a few minutes, give you three points of application and then I'm done uh, without much um, detail in explaining. The first application I look at the life of Peter is that Satan often attacks us at the point of our strength and not the point of our weakness. Many of us don't recognize that our strength uh, usually is where Satan will tempt us. Satan will strike us the most is our strength, not our weakness. Not our weakness. And so we always need to guard our strength because strength can become our weakness and strength can become abuse and misuse if we don't guard our strength. And Peter is the same. He was so gung-ho. He was so courageous. He was so Outspoken, he would say, "I will die for you," you know, and no one denied that 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 was his intention. But when it come to the real crunch and test, when he when he did not heed uh, Jesus' words of prayer, he fell. He fell. And so uh, remember this: uh, Satan often attacks us at the point of our strength, and not the point of our weakness. Number two, I think God allowed us to fail for one. Important reason, and that is to strip away our excessive self confidence. Failure is what some people call forced growth. It forces you to grow. It forces you to grow. And, and failure lesson is to strip away our excessive self confidence. Christian ministry, Christian life is not I, it's not me, it's Christ. That's why the verse says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And sometimes we need to be broken. And sometimes our journey is like that. Many of us, our journey, need to pass through that phase. Then we need to think we are high and then we fell, and then restore again. And then we do even greater things. And so God allowed us to fail in order to strip away our excessive self-confidence. And so remember... Uh, as you journey this pathway, as your Christian journey, uh, remember this when you fail, God is stripping your self-confidence. The final application I want to give to you before I close is that God, I want to give you some hope because Peter's lives after all is a, is a life of hope. God can redeem your mistakes if you will like, let him. And the beautiful things is, uh, uh, you know how, how Jesus treated uh, Peter? He never criticized him at all, and he never gave up on him. He never criticized him, and he never gave up on him. Jesus knew about Peter's denial long before it happened. Nothing can surprise God. And there is an important principle at work here. A bone that is broken often becomes stronger after it is healed. Something in the healing process actually makes the break point stronger than it was before. And the same is true of a rope that breaks. And the same thing is true of our failures. God can take us where we are broken and make us stronger than we were before. Though we fall and fall and fall, and though our faces are covered with all kinds of bitter defeat by God's grace, we can rise from the field of defeat to march on to new victory. You are not too dirty. You cannot be too dirty that God cannot cleanse you. You cannot be so far away that God cannot reach you. You cannot be so broken that God cannot mend you. You cannot be so worthless that God cannot love you. That is the heart of God. And here is the proof. Peter did much more for Jesus Christ after his fall than he did before. Before his fall, he was loud, he was boisterous, he was unreliable. And afterward, he became a flaming preacher of the gospel. Before, he was a big talker. Afterward, he talked only of what Jesus Christ could do for others. He was the same man, but he was different. He was still Peter through and true, but he had been sifted by Satan, and in the sifting, the chaff of his life had been blown away. This is what Peter lost in his failure. He lost his vanity, he lost his pride, his self-confidence, his rash impulsiveness, his unreliability. And this is what Peter gained after his restoration. Humility, new confidence in God, Tested courage, new determination to serve Jesus Christ, a willingness to use his experience to help others. And if you know, uh, Peter actually mentored John Mark. Mark's Gospel is actually a memoir of Peter. And John Mark, if you know his story, he also left Paul. He was also a failure. And Peter took him in his arm and mentored him because of his own denial of Jesus, his betrayal of Jesus as a result God restored him, God commissioned him, and he went on to do mighty things for God. This week, do me a favor. One homework for you. This week, if you, if you can, read through 1 and 2 Peter. 1 and 2 Peter. Short book. Very short book. Only 8 chapters. 5 chapters and 3 chapters. Read through that. with your background of what I just said to you about Peter... When you read the two letters, you become enlightened. Ah, I know why Peter wrote like this, because he has been through it. So you put on a new spin to what uh, Peter uh, said in his letter. Uh, so many of them I just have no time to read through. One Peter, one, five to seven, one Peter three, thirteen to fifteen, second Peter, chapter three, and you're beginning to see. that this broken man restored and he finished his race well and he died for Christ. So this is my encouragement to you uh, today uh, on the meditation. I want to encourage you, discipleship is for life is tough but hang in there when you fail. Come back to God and uh, don't neglect prayer uh, because prayer, if you neglect prayer, it will lead you down a pathway of fall. Let me just invite you to bow your head to say a word of prayer and then I'll pronounce a benediction. Lord, no wonder you who knows all souls in their inner being. uh, You chose Peter as the head of his church, your church, and not John who had never denied you, who alone of all the apostles was present on the hill of Calvary, but rather you chose Peter who fell, then rose again, who sinned and who then was forgiven in order that his church might understand something of human weakness and sin and bear to the millions of its soul the gospel of hope, the assurance of divine mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Uh, We know that, Lord, the race is long, the race is difficult, the race can be challenging because there are so many hidden uh, challenges there we get easily distracted, we get tempted, and some fell along the way and uh, and Lord, we just want to pray for mercy for protection, and may you stir our hearts, whichever lever whichever part of the journey that we may be at, whether we started to neglect prayer, whether we are just full of action but not grounded in prayer, or whether is it we are lukewarm, uh, whether we allow material things to to substitute uh, you and allow it to slowly sip away the passion in our heart or whether it's just pure wanting faith and, and human respect from others it's not cool to stand up for you and all kinds of things that sometimes we want the kind of respect whichever journey that we may be at lord may you break us uh, may you break us so that we will be stripped of our self-confidence and depend on you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to finish the race well. Help us to finish the race strong for your sake. Thank you, Lord. May your day be useful. Uh, May your night be restful. Uh, May your home be peaceful. And may your labor for the Lord always be fruitful now and forevermore.